Hello, and welcome to From Russia with News, a weekly news podcast brought to you by the Moscow Times. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Millions of citizens of Russia are united by the Olympic dream. I view the Russians as a far greater challenge that we have. President Putin, uh, he just said it's not Russia. A unique country, not bad, not bad at all. My name is Jonathan Brown, and I'm an editor in our newsroom here in Moscow. This week on the program, another high-profile arrest in Russia is sending shockwaves through the business community and the political elite. The question is, who or what is behind the arrest of former minister Mikhail Abuizov, a confidant of Prime Minister Dmitry Medvedev? If to speak about uh, Putin's reign, yes, uh, this is the period when repressions are more intensive than ever. We'll speak with Nikolai Petrov, a political analyst and professor at the Higher School of Economics, about the fallout from the arrest. And later, Ukrainians are heading to the polls this weekend in elections that will pit Petro Poroshenko, the chocolate king, against Yulia Tymoshenko, the gas princess. Leading them both in the polls, however, is Vladimir Zelensky, a comedian with no formal political experience. Well, this election in Ukraine is interesting for several reasons and different um, from previous elections for several reasons. And and one of them is that this isn't really a contest between uh, competing geopolitical visions. So we don't have, as we often did in the past in Ukraine, one candidate who supported integration with the West and one candidate who supported closer ties with Russia. We'll speak with Economist correspondent Noah Schneider, who's been covering the campaigns about just how closely Russia is watching. First up, former minister Mikhail Abuizov was detained on Tuesday on suspicion of embezzling 4 billion rubles, or $62 million, from energy companies in Siberia. The 46-year-old, who is a close acquaintance of Prime Minister Dmitry Medvedev, has denied the charges. He faces 20 years behind bars. By the time he left his ministerial post in 2018, Forbes said Abuizov was the richest member of the cabinet with a net worth of around $600 million. His detention is just the latest in a string of high-profile arrests that appear to target allies of Prime Minister Medvedev. Joining us on the line to explain what the arrest signals is Nikolai Petrov, professor at the Higher School of Economics. Nikolai, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today. My pleasure. First of all, can you give us the backstory here? What exactly is Abuizov accused of having done? Well, in case of Abuizov, the former minister of Medvedev's uh, government, the one who was responsible for the so-called open government, he is accused in selling some shares at the time he already was uh, the minister of the federal government. So, buy, uh, well, for much higher price uh, than uh, the investigative committee did calculate should be the right price. So, generally speaking, this is business dispute and it should be solved by the court of arbitrage uh, without any uh, FSB interference. But, uh, you know, at the beginning of uh, many cases of many criminal investigations, the first accusation can be very different from the one investigation will end with. The, the Kremlin spokesperson, Dmitry Peskov, said this week that Putin knew about the arrest in advance but didn't have a position on it. Do we know who could have sanctioned or ordered the arrest? Well, I think that uh, all these arrests of uh, high-ranked officials or former officials could take place only uh, with Putin's permission, either direct or indirect. So 
if if Putin isn't directly responsible for sanctioning the arrest, or he may have approved of the arrest, who do you think could be behind it? Well, there are uh, different uh, rumors about uh, business conflict uh, between Abizov and uh, Alpha Group, Abizov and Vexelberg, uh, but uh, I couldn't uh, think that uh, these guys could really inspire the arrest. And uh, as uh, far as I can imagine, uh, decision-making can take place in two different ways. Either there is direct Kremlin's order Uh, to find something this or that guy uh, can be accused with, or uh, there are some offers coming from below, either from FSB or from any of Putin's friends, and uh, Putin can let uh, them uh, to go further. So it's active and passive models of arrest being approved by Putin, but I can't imagine that arrest of a guy like Abizov could take place without Putin's approval. We've seen what look like politically motivated arrests like this before, most notably of the former Minister for Economic Development, Alexei Uligayev, and other allies of Medvedev. Should we see this as an attack on the Prime Minister? Uh, I don't think that Prime Minister is somehow strong to be the target. But uh, what we see uh, last, uh, say, year, it's very, well, uh, different attacks against his team. So it uh, can be the case to let Prime Minister to be alone, including if uh, the option of using him as uh, the next week president is in uh, the plans of the Kremlin. So to make him not uh, being connected to any uh, business resources, to any managerial resources, to any political resources. Why do you suspect the arrest is happening now? It's not that easy to answer, but uh, I would attract your attention to the fact uh, that expectations uh, that after 2018 presidential elections, uh, the Kremlin will make uh, repressions not that intensive. Uh, all these expectations failed. And starting from this January, uh, we do see now four very, uh, well, uh, serious uh, persons to be arrested, starting from uh, the senator at the time of the meeting of the Russian parliament upper house, then Michael Calvi, uh, then Mikhail Abizov, and today Viktor Shaev. So there is the whole wave of arrest. Perhaps they've been postponed uh, earlier and we can find different reasons why those arrests uh, took place now in each particular case. But what I think is the most important is the fact that uh, repressions are intensifying. And I would connect this with the fact that uh, Putin's approval rating and thus legitimacy of him and of the whole regime is going down. That's why it's needed to increase repressions in order to keep the uh, system under control. How is it possible that uh, increasing arrests of figures within the business or political community could have an effect on Putin's approval ratings? 
it's not that much about his approval rating. It's more about the need uh, to keep elites under control at a time when Putin's approval rating is not that high. When it became high in 2014, elites became much more dependent from Putin and Putin became much less dependent from them. Now his rating is down to the level uh, just like before uh, the annexation of Crimea. And uh, it's needed thus uh, in order to keep the system under control to increase repressions. How do you see this playing out? Is is Abuizov likely to spend 20 years behind bars? Well, it can develop in many different ways. And now we do not know exactly who will be targeted uh, together with him. So it can be the single case, Abuizov together with those uh, who are considered to form organized criminal group together with him. It can be like, say, attack against Arkady Dvarkovich, the former deputy prime minister, under uh, Medvedev or uh, it can develop in many different ways and uh, I I would remind that uh, in case of energy unified energy company uh, Abizov worked for has been led by Anatoly Chubais last several years there were uh, several arrests and uh, I think that none of these cases did end uh, with very serious punishments. We've seen a lot of politicians and businessmen detained recently. How does this period compare to others in Russia since the collapse of the Soviet Union? Uh, Well, if to speak about uh, Putin's reign, yes, uh, this is the period when repressions are more intensive than ever. And although we can trace uh, roots of these repressions back to early 2000, it uh, became very intensive starting from 2014. Nikolai, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Ukrainians are heading to the polls on Sunday in elections whose front runners are a cast of politicians from the country's past, its present, or they aren't politicians at all. Of 39 candidates, the three in the lead are current President Petr Poroshenko, a former Prime Minister Yulia Tymoshenko, and comedian Vladimir Zelensky. In the five years since the last election and Russia's annexation of the Crimean Peninsula, Poroshenko's popularity has slumped, corruption is widespread, the war in the East has yet to be resolved, and many voters in the breakaway republics will be either unable or unwilling to go to the polls. Joining us in the studio is economist correspondent Noah Schneider, who's been covering the race from Ukraine and Moscow. Noah, thanks very much for taking the time to be with us in the studio today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So in brief, who are the candidates? What are the issues? So the three frontrunners, as you mentioned, are uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, the politician uh, who emerged uh, from a TV show, uh, or comedian-turned-politician, we should say, uh, the incumbent president, uh, Petro Poroshenko, and the former prime minister, Yulia Tymoshenko. The main issues, I would say, are, are, are three things. Number one is the country's uh, progress on reforms and, and specifically on rooting out corruption. This was one of the central promises of the revolution of 2014 uh, that uh, overthrew the former president, Viktor Yanukovych. Uh, The second main thing is the war with Russia, um, what to do about eastern Ukraine, about Crimea, and how to approach that seemingly unresolvable problem in the future. And the third thing is is a a broad category um, of of sort of socioeconomic problems, things like gas tariffs, wages, the state of the economy 
economy, uh, Ukrainians have been facing falling, feeling like their living standards have been falling, even though there has been um, some progress on Western integration, things like uh, visa-free travel to the EU. Uh, And each of those three candidates uh, has place themselves along different parts of the spectrum. Mr. Poroshenko essentially is promising the status quo, more of of what he's already brought, uh, and he's emphasizing his credentials in terms of national security, in terms of nation building, um, playing up things like uh, the newly independent Ukrainian church. Uh, Ms. Timoshenko is promising everything, uh, a new course, uh, a new constitution, a new Ukraine, uh, which of course sounds a bit unlikely from someone who's uh, been around for, for quite a long time. Uh, and Mr. Zelensky is, is kind of promising nothing, which is to say that he's been very vague about what exactly he plans to do. Uh, he's given some indications that he'll uh, keep Ukraine on a westward course, uh, support for joining the EU, things like that. Um, but the specifics have been pretty minimal. How has the atmosphere of the, the campaigns been so far? Is, is everyone playing nice? Does Petro Poroshenko have access to resources as the incumbent that, that the other candidates don't have access to? Uh, well, well, as as uh, one Western diplomat said to me in uh, in Kiev, uh, these aren't going to be Swedish elections. Uh, so these elections uh, have already been marred by accusations of vote buying um, in in both directions. Different branches of Ukraine's security services support seem to support different candidates and have been uh, accusing their opponents of doing things like buying off voters in the provinces and setting up elaborate networks to falsify uh, results on election day. Um, there's also also the overhanging fear of Russian interference, Russian meddling, Russian disinformation, which is omnipresent in uh, in Ukraine. Um, and then finally, and perhaps most importantly, is the enduring influence of the oligarchs on Ukraine's uh, political system, on Ukraine's elections. This is still a system that that's uh, in thrall in the thrall of the oligarchs, and and the main way we see that is through their control of the media, their control of television, which candidates are allowed on air, how different candidates are discussed in the TV news programs. Uh, and all of that makes for a pretty um, a pretty volatile and, and dirty mix. And, and we see that reflected in, in polls, which show that the vast majority of Ukrainians don't believe this will be a clean election. This month is the five-year anniversary of the annexation of Crimea. How has the war in the East and the annexation featured so far in the campaigning? Well, President Poroshenko has made it uh, a central uh, part of his, his bid for, for re-election. He's uh, emphasizing his credentials as commander in chief. His slogan has been army, faith, and language. So uh, he's talked a lot about what he's done to build up Ukraine's army, to build up support for uh, the Ukrainian military in the West, and uh, has tried to draw a contrast between himself and uh, the less experienced um, opponents uh, who would suddenly inherit a hot conflict uh, with Russia. Russia, as you mentioned, has been well accused of meddling in elections in, in several countries in the past in the past several years. Is there anything to suggest that the Kremlin is intervening in in this election? Well, this election in Ukraine is is interesting for several reasons and and, and different um, from previous elections for several reasons. And and one of them is that this isn't really a contest between uh, competing geopolitical visions. So we don't have, uh, as as we often did in the past in Ukraine, one candidate who supported integration with the West and one candidate who supported closer ties with Russia. All of the leading 
candidates, all of the leading contenders, basically have uh, signaled their support for further westward integration. Uh, and that's thanks in, in no small part uh, to Russia's uh, annexation of Crimea and, and its uh, uh, stoking of the, the war in the east. It's really uh, cemented uh, Ukrainians' geopolitical choice. Um, so there's not an obviously pro-Russian candidate uh, to get behind. That said, there are a lot of folks, certainly in Kiev, who fear that Russia could seek to sow chaos on election day to spread disinformation. There are worries about hacking of uh, the Central Election Commission. This is all somewhat speculative at this point. Um, but if the Kremlin so desired, the opportunities to play around are, are myriad. While the three candidates themselves might not necessarily be more disposed among them towards Russia than any of the others, is there a sense that the Kremlin would prefer to be working with with one than than one of the other other candidates? It's a good question. Uh, you know, the common wisdom is is that uh, the Kremlin would prefer anyone but Poroshenko. So Yulia Tymoshenko, they know well. Uh, she served as prime minister. She cut a series of infamous uh, deals on on gas transit and gas importing with Russia. When she was prime minister. She's kind of a known quantity, and there's a sense that I think um, Russia feels like it could do do business with her. And Zelensky, as a political neophyte, presents a another set of opportunities, if you will. Um, you know, on the one hand, you'd have Vladimir Putin with 19 years of uh, experience as as uh, the leader of his country, and and uh, on the other hand, you'd have a guy who's uh, coming from uh, the world of comedy and and TV acting uh, into high stakes geopolitics. Um, so I think uh, there's a feeling uh, that the Kremlin could uh, could ex- exploit his inexperience uh, to their uh, to their benefit. If on Sunday there isn't a, a clear majority, the elections will go to a runoff in, in in late April. How do you see this playing out? Well, it's very hard to predict. Uh, the polling is all over the place. There seems to be a number of scenarios where Zelensky could in fact win, but at the same time it depends a lot on things like turnout. So Zelensky's support is strongest amongst younger voters who are less reliable uh, when it comes to actually showing up at the polls. Uh, Poroshenko and Timoshenko have uh, stronger support amongst older voters who are more reliable. Also there are sort of differences in the regional breakdown. There are questions about whether people who are voting for Zelensky essentially to sort of show the middle finger to the establishment uh, as a way of expressing their frustration with the course of the current leadership, whether they'll really bother to uh, to come out not only once but twice. So it's it's again it's very hard to predict, uh, and it'll be uh, a fiercely fought um, campaign. It already has been, and and will um, only continue to be as as the second round approaches. Noah, thanks very much for taking the time to speak with us today. No problem. Thanks for having me. And to finish off, this weekend, the Ren TV channel reported that a naked man tried to board a flight at Domodedovo Airport in Moscow while shouting that clothes made him less aerodynamic. The passenger was intercepted by airport staff before he could make it onto his flight to Crimea and was later detained by police officers. Now, not to fuel any stereotypes, but was probably most surprised about this episode is that eyewitnesses said the passenger wasn't drunk. Here's hoping they didn't have to bear witness to everything. 
That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in. And don't forget to rate the podcast on iTunes. It'll help other listeners find us. Head over to the Moscow Times website to read more about Abuizov, Ukraine, and of course, a whole series of oddities from Russia, not just aerodynamics. I'm Jonathan Brown. Our producer today was Pyotr Sauer. And thank you to CM Record Studios in Moscow for hosting the show. Join us next week on From Russia with News. (laughs) 